you're listening to Connect Communities Podcast, recorded live in Stamford, Connecticut. If you'd like to know more about our community, stop by our website at www.connectcommunity.tv. Enjoy the message. God put this message in my heart a couple of weeks ago, and I'm calling it Prepare for the Best. Prepare for the best. That's the subject that I want to speak with you about. Most of us have heard of the term, prepare for the worst. We're very acquainted with that term. And in us, that term is about anticipating uh, for a bad circumstance. It's when you anticipate the worst case scenario and you get ready for it. Emotionally, physically, in your resources, you get ready for the worst possible outcome. We all do it. In one way or another, psychologically or, action, or in action, we all do it. Maybe you were called to have a meeting with the boss. It was in an unannounced meeting. You don't know what's going to be said or spoken. It wouldn't be a good, a good form for you to walk in the boss's meeting and say, wait right there, sir or ma'am. Before you say anything, I just want to thank you in advance for this raise that you're about to give me. Thank you for all the good news you're going to give me. You don't know what's going to happen. So you might might expect and hope for the best, but also inside, part of you is going, this could be bad. Let me update my LinkedIn profile and my, my resume because this could be bad. See, maybe... Uh, um, you have had this experience in the past where you were waiting for a medical report. I've never seen anybody waiting for a medical report with a cake and candles in hand, just waiting for that good report that's going to come. There's always a tension. There's always part of us that prepares for the worst. We do that in life. See, this is the, the kind of anticipation uh, uh, it's this kind of anticipation is very evident in our society, especially up here before a blizzard. I don't know if you've had a chance to be too late to the bread aisle before a blizzard. <laughs> too late to go get that milk. People go crazy. And in fact, I am convinced that Wonder Bread and all the bread companies love blizzards. They probably pray for blizzards every winter because all the bread is gone. What is it? It's people preparing for the worst. When a storm hits, that's what we do. We prepare for the worst. Now, this message came to my heart when we were flying back from uh, Birmingham uh, about two weeks ago. We were flying back about 10 days ago, and uh, we were 90 miles out of LaGuardia. And until then, the flight had been very smooth, and it was nice. But then the captain came on the speaker system, and you know how it goes. Uh, hello, everybody. You know, here's the captain. Uh, I'm, we're 90 miles out of LaGuardia, and uh, we're about to hit some bumps here. I'm, I'm told it's going to be bumpy, so please, you know, fasten your seatbelts, seats and all that. And then, if you've flown before, you know that the flight attendant or the steward will come on the system and repeat the exact same thing that the captain just said, except a little bit more official, Right? Well, everybody, you heard the captain. There's going to be some turbulence. It's going to get a little bit shaky. So make sure your trays are locked in position. Your, back, your seat is, is in the upright position. 
there's a little, a little, she actually said, there's a little button, silver button on the handle there. If you press it, your seat will come back up. And make sure your seat belts are set fastened and your electronics are what? Stowed. Such a nice word, stowed. What are they doing? They are preparing for the worst. They don't tell you that. But that's exactly the same procedure that would happen if something would have gone really bad on the flight. That's what, where you need to be. You need to be prepared for the worst. And that got me thinking. I felt God whisper in my heart. Not out loud, but, but down here in my heart. What would it look like if we prepared for the best? If we took the same kind of diligence to prepare for the best? If we looked at our lives with the same kind of importance we, uh, in preparing for the best. If we were as diligent, as prudent, and as careful with our lives when we are in good situations. To maintain the sensitivity of the importance of life. To value the gift of life. Not when danger might be uh, imminent. Not when something bad might happen. But when things are good. When things are okay. When things are not so bad. So I started writing down my thoughts. I pulled out my phone. Don't worry, it was on airplane mode. And I started typing my thoughts. By the time we landed, I had two pages of notes because it was just like, this is, this is an important, important thing. And I feel like some of you today, you need this message. You need to have a mind shift on the inside because you've been on struggle from struggle to struggle to struggle. And you have learned how to operate. When things are bad. You have learned how to cling to faith when things are not so good. You have learned how to seek help when things are not good. But then you get, to, you get to the place where things are okay and you don't know what to do. You don't know how to go from good to best. And you don't know what to do to maintain your life at a best level. You need to know this and some of you need to hear this. You were not meant to live in eternal uh, uh, reality of struggle. You were not meant to live in a, in, a, in a life where you're always hoping that for a miracle. Miracles are good. And God will do a miracle in your life. He will rescue you. But if you're constantly in need of rescue, if you're constantly in need of a miracle, you will be constantly on that place of tension where things are not so good. So it's important for us to know how to operate, to know how to live our lives when things are good as well. So how do we prepare for the best? See, I, I believe that, that we are good at, pre at preparing for the worst. Most of us are better at preparing for the worst than we are at preparing for the best. It's almost as though, if, uh, it's almost a, as, as though our fear of suffering produces a greater drive in times of struggle than the joy of victory produces discipline in times of of victory in times of triumph and we need to learn to switch that I think that uh, um, I've heard it said this before that it's easy to be good when things are good it's easy to do the right thing when things are good I think it's the opposite I think we tend to be good when things are not good I think we tend to be good when things are bad I think we have a closer touch with our morality with our sense of responsibility, we, we are in closer touch with, with our sense of integrity when things are not so good. See, if you know anybody who has been given a bad diagnosis about their health, especially when it comes to their diet, 
you probably will not see them stuffing their face with all the unhealthy foods. It's the healthy person that's eating all the fries and the cheeseburgers and the chicken wings and the mashed potatoes and the ice cream and the meatloaf. The meatloaf and the cheesecake. Mm. Can keep going. I'm just preaching to myself now. French fries and the soda. It's the healthy person that takes liberties when things are good. See, you don't see somebody who is struggling financially overspending. It's not somebody who doesn't have enough income that's overspending. That person, they want to make sure that they can make rent. They want to make sure that the lights are on in the house. It's the person that makes just enough and then a little bit. Just enough and then a little bit. And that little bit could be saved, could be invested, or it could be spent on something else. And this is what happens. That person is most likely to splurge. To go and say, I'm going to buy this on credit. And all I need to do is be good next month. And I'll make up for it. And next month becomes next month. And that month becomes the following month. And all of a sudden, you're in a reality where you are struggling financially. But not because you don't have the income. It's just because you were not good when you were okay. See, the same thing happens in our relationship. It's when you have a good marriage that you tend to overlook. It's when you have a good relationship that you tend to not say thank you as often. That you tend to not say I love you as often. When things are hard, you are reminded this is valuable. So I need to take care of it. But when things are not so, when things are good, when things are okay, is when we say, you know what? I don't need to buy flowers today. We're all right. I don't need to get her a gift. It's okay. I, need to tell him, I don't need to tell him that he works so hard and he's doing great. It's all right. We're doing okay. When actually that is the moment, that's the, that's the time in your life that you should, in your relationship, that you should be encouraging each other. That's when you should be investing into each other. That's when you should be uh, making the effort to really seduce one another. Praise Jesus. <laughs> I'll tell you this on the sidebar on that. You know, I've, I've never bought my wife flowers to say I'm sorry. And this is just a personal conviction. I'm not trying to, to, to you know, if you've done it, good on you. But... I've never done that just because I don't want flowers to be connected to I'm sorry. I want flowers to be connected to I love you. So this is what I try to do. I try to say I'm sorry and try to say I, I love you and I'm sorry and, and, and let me change. And here's my encouragement to you. If, if you're in a, in a good place in your relationship right now in your marriage, but you could be better, make the effort. You know, if, if, if you're working a lot and you bring work home and your wife or husband says, you're, you're always on your phone during dinner time or at night, you know, you're here, but you're not here. Make the effort. Put the phone away. You know, don't check the emails. Make the effort. If, if your spouse says, I, I don't really feel like you see all that I do. I don't really feel like I'm appreciated. Go the extra mile to notice, to appreciate, and then check back on it. Don't bring flowers and say, I'm sorry and hope they'll forget about it. Do what you can to appreciate and then check, check back on it. A week later, go, hey, I've tried to put the phone away. I've tried not to read uh, uh, my emails. How am I doing? 
Is that okay? Have you noticed that? Or I'm trying to appreciate you as often as I can. Am I doing it right? Am I appreciating you okay? And, and make that, that conversation, that dialogue happen. Let me encourage you with that. That's just a sidebar. So let's talk about getting prepared for the best. How do we prepare for the best? Because it's when things are good that we shouldn't make the effort to maintain it. That we shouldn't make the effort to keep our lives at best. And there's a passage in 2 Peter. The Apostle Peter wrote to the Christians. And he highlights a couple things that is very important. These are things that are very important for you and I to keep part of our lives to keep part of our discipline we're going to read second peter chapter 1 verses 3 through 10 i'm reading from the esv version you can follow on the screens on your phones or on your actual bible and it reads his divine power that's jesus has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness Though through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Let me just pause right here. He's saying that there is a nature within you. I was sharing this with the, the people who are about to get baptized in the back. There's a nature within you. Peter is saying there's a life within you. There's something that happened to you once you became a follower of Jesus. His life came into you. And this is something that we believe. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a, 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 a Jesus follower here in the room, this is something that you believe in actuality, or you should. See, Christians believe this, that once you follow Jesus, His life is in you. His actual life is in you, operating, freeing, transforming, causing you to rise higher. And this is what Peter is saying. He's saying, listen, the sinful desires, the things that are trying to take you away, to take you down, the things that are trying to get you from good to worst have no power over you. Why? Because of this divine nature that is in you. You have that divine nature to overcome the sinful desires that are trying to take you down. And he continues, for this very reason, make every effort. This is your part. This is my part. Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness, that's perseverance, and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind. Having forgotten that he, had, he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be all more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, watch this, you will never fall. You will never fall. He's saying, don't be nearsighted. If you don't do your part, if you don't take part in it, you are nearsighted, meaning, meaning you can't, you're not living as though you have a future. You're not living as though you have a purpose. You're not, you're not living as though your life counts for something. Live as though you have a future. Look ahead. Look in the years to come, in the things that God wants to do in your life. And use that as an incentive for you to supplement your faith with these 
things. And when he says supplement your faith, he means exactly that. Your divine nature needs faith. And some of you, you don't sense that divine nature is strong in you. It's because your faith needs supplements. Your faith needs a little bit of supplements. What does the word say? That faith comes by the hearing and hearing of the word of God. Faith needs a little bit of supplement. How can you hear more of the word of God? How can the word, what, what will the word of God do in you? You need some supplements. You need some vitamins. I went to the doctor last year for a checkup. And you're going you're gonna to think I'm lying, but I had never been to the doctor before. Well, I had been to the doctor before when I was being delivered. When was your last appointment? The umbilical cord was cut. That was my last appointment. No, no, I did go to a clinic when I had the flu two years ago. But that was it. I had never been to the doctor before. And I told uh, the doctor, listen, I'm 35. I'm coming close to 35 now, and I just want to make sure everything is okay. So I came in for a checkup. Is anything wrong? No, nothing wrong. Just want to make sure everything is okay. So she did all the blood work and everything and, and tested everything. And the blood work came back. And it turned out everything was fine except there was a little bit of, of deficit on my vitamin D. So she told me, listen, this is what you need. It's not a prescription. It's over the counter. But you have to take supplements. You have to take vitamins. What? To take your Vitamin level, to take your body to the right level. That's what Peter is saying here. Some of you, your faith needs a supplement. You need to get it to the right level so that you can assume that divine nature. So you can have strength in your spirit. So you can live your life the way you're supposed to live. Talks about faith. How can you supplement faith? Well, he begins with virtue. Talks about virtue. And virtue is something important. Virtue... It's good morals. It's excellence. Virtue is those things that you do, not because you have to, but because they're good in themselves. And he goes on. He lists all the things that supplement our faith. He talks about knowledge, self-control, very important, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. All of those things. Add to your faith. All of those things get you closer to God. All of those things will cause you to have a strong divine nature. And if you fail on them, you'll be nearsighted. Now, there's a couple stories in the scripture that I want to share with you that can exemplify this working well and when somebody doesn't do this well. And both of them are in the life of David, funnily enough. King David was a, a one-of-a-kind person in, in history. And he is found in history as a teenage boy who is out in the field working for his parents. While Samuel comes in for an unannounced visit. And Samuel comes in and when, when David was just a little boy, he anoints him king of Israel. And there is a promise there is God telling him, there's a future for you, and you have been sealed to be king. Well, it didn't happen right away. And as, as if you know the story, you know that David gained notoriety when he defeated Goliath. But that also caused him trouble. Because at the same time that he gained notoriety, he also gained an enemy in the king. Because the king became jealous. The king saw 
that uh, he had power and he was a great warrior. Fast forward, David is being hunted down like a criminal, even though he committed no crime. He was a fugitive. He was going from cave to cave. And along that process, a few men joined him. And, we're gonna, and by the time this story happened that I'm about to tell you, there were about 600 men with David and all their wives and, and kids and families. And they were in the wilderness. And in the wilderness, they were near a property of a man who was really wealthy, a man called Nabal. And he had a lot of cattle. He had a lot of land. And David took upon himself to protect Nabal's property, to protect his cattle, to protect his staff, to use his men to make sure nothing bad would happen to Nabal. And then came payday. We don't know how long David protected his property for, but uh, when Nabal went down for payday, which was what the day they would, they would take all the sheep for shearing, wool uh, uh, made the, those uh, men a lot of money back in those days whenever they would sell the wool from the sheep. And Nabal was, was getting a big payday. And so David knew that that, that was the day to, to announce what he had been doing. So he sent his men down to Nabal and explained what he had been doing. Listen, we have been protecting your property. The reason why nothing bad has happened to you is because we've been out there. And we've been doing this out of our, our heart, out of our, you know, own volition. Now, in our culture today, if somebody comes and does, you, and does a service for you, uh, it's kind of weird, right? Because you're like, well, you didn't really talk to me. You know, there's no contract. We haven't talked about it. You just did it for yourself, man, whatever. In their culture, this was incredibly generous. And it would have been met with generosity as well. You would have been met with gratitude. Nabal, in their culture, the honorable thing, the right thing to do would be to... to, to Thank David and send him gifts and take care of him for doing what he did. Hospitality was, was a great thing. It was a commandment in their culture. Well, Nabal didn't do that. Nabal basically shooed them off, said, who is David? And basically insulted David. He actually called David a servant, a runaway servant, like a runaway slave. You ran away from your king. What are you doing? Who's David anyways? David got news. When he got the news, he was furious. He was fuming. He looked at the men and said, strap on your swords because things are going to happen. Stuff is going to happen here right now. I've done all of this in vain. I've helped him in vain. This man is going to meet his Savior tonight. He said, 1 Samuel 25, 22, God, so, God do so to the enemies of David and more also. If by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. This was serious. David was set in his heart. He was just going to go in and decimate his whole generation. End his legacy. End his future. Now Nabal was married. And that was the, his saving grace. Because his wife was wise. Can I get an amen, amen guys? And get an amen, guys. <laughs> Thank God for all the wise wives out there. 
Abigail was her name. And the Bible says that he was harsh and badly behaved, but she was beautiful and discerning. And Abigail got word of it. Her servant told her, listen, this is what happened. And this is what your husband did. Now, you know that he is a fool and nobody can really tame him. Nobody can really tell him what to do. And she got word of it and she told everybody, get all the gifts, get bread, get wine, get him some ice cream, get him some uh, cupcakes and uh, get him some hummus. And let's load up the donkeys, put a lot of that stuff on it, all the chicken wings, everything. Put it on the donkeys and let's set and let's meet him halfway. And that's exactly what she did. And when she saw David, she ran and, and bowed down to his feet and said, On me, on me alone, place the blame on me. Here's my gift to you and to your men. Don't listen to my husband. As for my husband, that fool, because that's what his name actually means, Nabal, it means fool. That fool, don't listen to him. Pity the fool. Don't listen to the fool. Some of you don't get the reference, huh? Mr. T. Pity the fool. And listen to what she said. This is so wise. Listen to what she said. 1 Samuel 25, verses 28 through 31. Please forgive the trespass of your servant. For the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house. Because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord. And evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. If men rise up to pursue you and to seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living, in the care of the Lord your God. And the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. She knew exactly who he was. That's how he killed Goliath with a sling. Listen to her wisdom. And when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause of grief and pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause or for my Lord working salvation on himself. Wow. And when the Lord has dealt, with, dealt well with my Lord, then remember your servant. So much wisdom. She was saying, David, you have never had to take matters into your own hands. You have never had to do this. God has always fought your battles for you. You have never draw, drew, drawn, drawn your sword unjustly. Remember his promise. Remember where you are going. Remember what you are called to. Remember that you have been anointed to be king. Remember that God will do for you. You have never had to fight, fight your battles. Now, don't, don't lose your blessing because of this fool. God is going to take care of him. Now, he has held you in his hand. Anybody that rises against you is going to fall. And when God has taken care of this fool, here's my number. Give me a call. Don't keep this in your conscience. Don't let this, don't let this ruin your conscience. Don't you rise to the, to the throne with this stain on your reputation. She was so wise. So wise. And that's exactly what happened. David listened to her. In the worst moment of his life, when he could have made a mistake, he was sharp. He was attentive. He listened to her. He drew back. And 10 days later, about, about 10 days later, Nabal died of what seemed to be a heart attack. 
And David got word and sent for Abigail, and she became his wife. Now, this is David when things are hard. This is David in distress. This is David abandoned in the wilderness. This is David homeless. This is David leading men to nowhere because he didn't know what to do next. This is David being persecuted. He was close to his sense of integrity. He was close to his morals. Now, if you fast forward a few years, everything Abigail said came to pass. Everything his wise wife told him became true. David won every battle. He fought 66 battles in his lifetime, and he won every single one of them. He came to the palace. He became king of Judah and of Israel. And he's in the palace, and things are so good that he doesn't even have to go out to war. Things are so good that he can send his soldiers and just stay back. And it was spring, and that's exactly what happened. David sent his soldiers out to battle, and he's just chilling back in his palace in the comfort, in the success, in the glory of being a king, of having all the power in his hand. He was at his best. And as he's strolling on the roof, he saw her bathing. He saw a woman bathing. And he caught his attention because she was beautiful. He asked about her. What's up with her? And he's told, she's the wife of a soldier. She's an army wife. His, her husband is, is out in battle for you. He's a good man. Still, he couldn't contain himself. He called her in. And he lay with her. And he thought he had gotten away with it. And she sent word, King, I'm pregnant. There's a son in my belly. And David now begins the process of trying to cover his tracks. He's the king. He can do whatever he wants, right? He calls in Uriah, her husband, and tells him to go rest and go wash himself. And he doesn't do it. The husband doesn't do it. He has too much integrity to go in, in the house with his wife. He stays posted with all the other soldiers. And David said, you, you don't want to go inside and clean up? You had just been in battle. And he said, how, how, am, how, how can I do that when all of my other friends, all my other uh, 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 fighting men, all the other fighting men are still out there fighting, protecting the kingdom. I can't do that. So David had an idea. He sent word to the captain. And he said, put Uriah in front of the battle. And send, send him. Send that battalion. To fight the enemy. And when they come against him. Tell everybody to draw back. So that Uriah. May fall. Something worse happened. They went in too close. Not only Uriah. But a bunch of other men died. Because of what David did. David told the captain. Don't worry about it. It's okay. You're going to go back in. And you're going to conquer that city. It's alright. He thought he had gotten away with it. I'm the king. I'm at my best. Until the prophet appeared. God sent prophet Nathan to check in with David. Because God is always concerned with the little man. He's always concerned with the person 
that's been injustice. When Uriah died, months passed, Bathsheba had a baby. And oh, David got to be the hero. He got to marry the woman and he got to be the king who rescued the widow. That's what he, how he presented the situation, even though he was the one who caused the men to die. Prophet Nathan came in and said this on behalf of the Lord. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And this is what too little I would have had more, much more. I would have given you more, David. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife. And you have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. I feel like at that moment, if David on the roof when he was at his best, when he saw that woman bathing, if he would have played back the words of his wife, Abigail, if he would have played back the words of Abigail saying, pay attention to your future. Look ahead. Don't be nearsighted. Look at what's coming. You're the king. Remember, he would have probably sent her some clothing. Say, put this on. Hide your body. But he didn't. Why? At his best, he was vulnerable. At his best, he let his guard down. At his best, he couldn't hold it together. And that sin, that mistake, stained his life forever. So much so, and we're talking about it here today, it affected his children. His children committed the same mistakes that he committed. Listen. I want to tell you today, this morning, it is important for us to prepare for the best. If you're going to walk into your promise, if you're going to achieve your dreams, if you're going to get to the place where you want to get to, preparing for it is as important as achieving it. I hope you get it in your heart. Preparing for the best is as important as achieving the best. Preparing for the championship is as important as becoming a champion. Preparing for the success in your business is as important as achieving that success. Preparing to have money in abundance is as important as attaining it. Are you ready? Can you prepare for the best? I'm talking about those moments in your life when you will have access. When you will have the money to do whatever you want when nobody's watching. I'm talking about those moments when you have the opportunity to do something that you know it's wrong and you will not be caught. What do you do? Can we prepare for the best? Are you prepared for it? Those moments where you know that if you break the rules, it's going to be all right. You can get away with it. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to live for what's right. I want to encourage you to this morning to just have a commitment, a commitment to increase your faith, to supplement your faith, to f f uh, uh, 
fan up that flame of the divine nature on the inside and to see your life being best when you are at best. I want to encourage you to value mercy and value selflessness so that when you are on the judging seat, so that when you have the power to punish, so that when you have the power to take, so that when you have the power to retain, you may not do it, but you may act mercifully. You may extend love and you may give to those who are around you. Can we prepare for the best? Listen, I was telling the, the people who are getting baptized, there is a new life in you. There's a new life in you. And I hope you get this conviction on the inside. There is a new life in you. So that when you get to the place of blessings, you don't have to fear. See, my encouragement to you is not to get there and then do the right thing because you're afraid you're going to lose it. Do the right thing because you're afraid you're going to lose what you've attained. That's not the point. The point is to do the right thing because that's the kind of person you want to be. To love because you want to be a loving person. To be generous because that's the kind of life that's on the inside. A life of generosity. To be kind to others. Not because you have to be kind to others. But because that's what's on the inside. It's your desire to be a kind person. Have you ever seen a person who is humble because they have no other option? They have to be humble. But you know that if they had the opportunity, as soon as they get the opportunity, they would, they would get on that high horse and command the world. Let's not be like that. Let's value humility for humility's sake. Let's value love for love's sake. And in that way, we will bless one another. In that way, we will grow in God. In that way, we will grow from the inside out. Grow in self-control. Grow in faith. Grow in virtue. Grow in perseverance. Grow in brotherly affection. And grow in love. Do you receive it this morning? Amen. Amen. Let's stand.